couple of comments. In 1 Timothy chapter 5 and verse 17, Paul writes, Let elders who rule well be counted worthy of double honor. I want to publicly express my appreciation to Brother Rodney for the good work that he has done. He is one of the last elders that hired me. And I don't know what that pretends, but uh, I remember the second Sunday of 1985, and uh, I remember sitting in the exact same spot that I sat this morning. Brother Lee Flatt got up uh, like Brother Don did this morning and said, We have a young man in our audience who has been a good man, but we feel that he is a great potential elder. And uh, from that time, Brother Rodney has served with distinction as a godly elder. And I want to express my appreciation. I have traveled with him uh, on personal work, going to Carrollton. We've gone to Selkirk together. Brother Rodney's a good man, and I hope that you will let him know of your appreciation for the service that he has offered. The second comment I'd like to make is with regards to our city aldermen. Some of you may have opened your Southern Standard today and noticed that there was a whole page ad placed by the Churches of Christ in the city of McMinnville. Uh, down at the bottom it says this ad was paid for by Tony Lawrence. That is not accurate. Uh, they had to put someone's name down there, and since I'm the person who submitted the ad, my name went at the bottom, but it was placed by the Churches of Christ in the city of McMinnville. They will not be meeting this Tuesday uh, for whatever reason they chose to be gone, but they will be meeting on October the 28th, and I will again remind you before that meeting so you will be able to uh, go and express your concern before the Board of Mayor and Aldermen. This morning, we're going to continue our study of the book of Matthew chapters 5 through 7. We are discussing things that relate to studying with our Savior, and we're now to chapter 7. I want to begin our study this morning by asking a few questions. These are thought-provoking questions that I'd like for you to think of the answer in your own mind as we begin our study. Have you ever been judged unfairly? Someone else said something, someone else did something that made you feel that they have judged you unfairly. And I imagine most of us are thinking about a specific instance in our mind where we feel someone has done that to us. Second question is, have you ever judged someone else unfairly? I know that's not nearly as desirable a question in our own minds, but that's reality. Have you ever looked at someone else and you didn't consider all the evidence and you didn't treat them fairly and you judged them for that? What makes judgment unfair? You know, when we look at it ourselves, we may have our own position in mind, but... Um, what makes judgment unfair? And the fourth question is, are all judgments of others wrong? Is there ever any time, any place that I may look at another person's life and say, that's wrong and they need to change? Significant question. 
Well, I'd suggest to you that these will be addressed by our Lord in Matthew chapter 7, verses 1 through 5, and then we're going to skip verses 6 through 14, and then we'll look at verses 15 through 20. So if you will, have your Bibles open, and let's begin our study of this passage. And we're going to look at three things. We're going to look, first of all, at verses 1 and 2 and see how that judgment is reciprocal. That means that whatever one gives to someone else comes back to him. If I do good things to other people, good things come back. If I do bad things, bad things come back. Judgment itself is reciprocal, as we will see. Number two, we're going to look at the Lord's use of ridicule. The illustration in verses 3 through 5 is going to show that our Lord will, by means of sarcasm, by means of ridicule, embarrass the people for the way they were judging others. Number three, as we get to verses 15 through 20, we'll talk about sin and sinners being recognizable. Let's begin with verses 1 and 2. Judge not that you be not judged. For with what judgment you judge, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. Now, um, were they judging wrong? And in judging, were they somehow doing something that was inappropriate before God? Well, obviously they were, or Jesus would not have said, judge not. Well, let's look for just a moment at the way they were judging I'm going to suggest to you three things here that you see with regards to these people, not necessarily in these two verses, but in the context. The first thing that you see is a harsh judgment. I'm going to carry to a few passages of Scripture. We'll go first of all to James chapter 2 and verse 4. And in James, he's been discussing the way they treated a person who came into their assembly. If it was a rich man who came into their assembly, they would tell him, sit here in a good seat. To a poor man, they would say, you stand there or you sit here at my footstool. The rich people had oppressed them in the courts. The rich people had mistreated them and blasphemed the name by which they were called, and yet they still gave them a place of honor. The poor man who was wearing dirty clothes, who was undesirable by much of the society, they had mistreated. And Jesus says, Have you not become or shown partiality among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Evil thoughts. If you go to John 7 and verse 24, you have Jesus explaining what this is. Do not judge according to appearance, but judge righteous judgment. Have you ever looked at someone else and immediately in your mind decided that they were good or bad based on your visual look at them? That's harsh judgment. That's unfair judgment. In John chapter 7, verses 48 through 52, the Jewish leaders were looking at Jesus and they had immediately decided he could not be the Christ, the Son of God. Nicodemus is in their presence and Nicodemus is going to try to get them to judge properly. 
And they asked the question, Have any of the rulers or the Pharisees believed in him? But the crowd that does not know the law is accursed. Nicodemus, he who came to Jesus by night, being one of them, said to them, Does our law judge a man before it hears him and knows what he is doing? They answered to him, Are you also from Galilee? Here's what happens. These people did not believe that Jesus could be the Christ. They discounted the views of the crowd by saying, They don't know what they're doing. They don't know the law. They don't know anything. And then when Nicodemus says, let's judge fairly, let's hear what he says, let's look and see what he does, they then turn on him and say, are you also from Galilee? In John 8 and verse 15 and 16, Jesus said, you judge according to the flesh. I judge no one, and yet if I judge, my judgment is true, for I am not alone, but I am with the Father who sent me. You judge according to the flesh. You're only looking at physical things. You're not looking at spiritual things. Harsh judgment just looks superficially at people and makes judgments like that. The second thing that you see about their judgment that was wrong, it was hypocritical. Jesus pointed out later, as we will look in verses 3 through 5, that they have problems in their own lives. I could take you to a number of passages of Scripture where you see people who are hypocrites in their judgment. Perhaps one of the best is found in Romans 2, verses 1 and 2. Therefore you are inexcusable, O man, whoever you are who judge, and whatever you judge another, you condemn yourself. For you who judge practice the same things. But we know that the judgment of God is according to truth against those who practice such things. He said, you are judging other people, but you're doing the same thing yourself. You drop on down into the context, and he talks about those people who were looking at the Gentiles and were saying, you who abhor idols, do you rob temples? One of the Old Testament passages shows this so well. In 2 Samuel chapter 12, you'll remember how Nathan came to David. He told David a parable about a man who had a ewe lamb and how his rich neighbor had plenty of flocks. And what he did when he had a visitor was to come and take that one man's little ewe lamb and then to use it for his own and serve it for his visitor's. And David, it says in verse 5, his anger was greatly aroused against the man and said to Nathan, as the Lord lives, the man who did this or who has done this shall surely die. He'll restore full full the lamb because he did this thing and had no pity. Then Nathan said to David, you are the man. David's anger was so strong, let's kill that man. And then when Nathan says, you're him, How many times when people look at other people and judge their actions, they are guilty of doing the same thing. But the third aspect of their failure in judgment was that it was haughty. What do you mean by haughty? You mean arrogant. 
Being arrogant says, I have put my place in the place of God. Or I sit along beside God and I'm able to make judgments because of who I am and where I am. I want you to listen to Luke 18, verse 11. Then the Pharisee stood and prayed thus with himself, God, I thank you that I'm not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even as this tax collector. The Pharisee viewed himself as being on a position or a position with God to look down at these other people and judge their behavior. When you go to the book of Romans, chapter 14, you're presented with matters of opinion, whether to eat meat or not to eat meat. But I want you to notice the way Paul presents their judging. Let not him who eats despise him who does not eat. And let not him who does not eat judge him who eats. For God has received him. Who are you to judge another man's servant? To his own master he stands or falls. Indeed God will... He will be made to stand, for God is able to make him stand. What Paul is saying is, who put you in the position to judge someone else's servant? Are you so arrogant to think that God has devoted the judging to you? You go a little bit further, and in verses 10 through 13, he talks about, but why do you judge your brother? Or why do you show contempt to your brother? For we all shall stand before the judgment seat of Christ. You see, we stand on a plane together. None of us stand above one another in all of this. 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 3 through 5. Paul even applies that to his own judgment of himself. But with me, it is a very small thing that I should be judged by you or by a human court. In fact, I do not even judge myself. For I know nothing against myself, and yet I am not justified by this, but he who judges me is the Lord. Folks, we have to recognize that none of us are in an omniscient position to be able to know everything about everyone, and particularly things like their motives. In James chapter 4, verses 11 and 12, Do not speak evil of one another, brethren. He who speaks evil of his brother or judges his brother speaks evil of the law and judges the law. But if you are a judge the law, you are not a doer of the law but a judge. There is one lawgiver who is able to save and destroy. Who are you to judge another? You see, their judgment that they were rendering was harsh, it was hypocritical, and it was haughty. But then God says, these means that you are using are going to be given right back to you. The measure that you use will be measured back to you. We put it in our language right back at you. Right back at you. James 2 and verse 13, James writes... For judgment is without mercy to one who shown no mercy. For mercy triumphs over judgment. What James was saying was what the Lord said. And that is, if you are an unmerciful, unkind, harsh, 
hypocritical and haughty judger, that's what's going to come back to you. Now let's look at verses 3 through 5 for a moment. And why do you look at the speck in your brother's eye, but do not consider the plank in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me remove the speck from your eye, and look, a plank is in your own eye. Hypocrite, first move the plank from your own eye, and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. For just a moment, think about what the Lord is saying. The word that the New King James translates plank, the original King James translates beam, refers to a log, a huge piece of wood, and it is protruding out of a person's eye. Now, you know that's hyperbole. That's exaggeration. That's ridicule. That's sarcasm. The speck that he's talking about is that little piece of sawdust some of you have cut wood before, maybe using a chainsaw or some other kind. You know that you need to be wearing eye protection and you don't. And next thing you know, a little piece of, of that wood flies into your eye and you're trying to get it out. Can you imagine someone with a huge log proceeding out of their eye to say, let me help you that. You'd say, you can't do that. You can't see. There's a visual image that ridicule their hypocrisy. And what the Lord was trying to point out in these extremes, if you will, the speck and the plank or the moat and the beam, was to use and compare little versus greater. And the Bible does teach that. For instance, in John 19, the Lord has been brought before Pilate. And it was Caiaphas and the Jewish leaders who had sent Jesus to Pilate. Pilate was simply trying to discern the truth. Why did they send you here? Is he guilty of trying to make himself a king and overthrow the Roman Empire? You know, Pilate asked, are you a king? And Jesus said in John 18, my kingdom is not of this world. Listen to John 19:11. Jesus answered, you could have no power at all against me unless it had been given you from above. Therefore, the one who delivered me to you has the greater sin. Caiaphas knew what he was doing. Pilate, though sinful, was simply trying to discern the truth. The way that we understand this is is what James 4.17 says, Therefore to him who knows to do good and does not do it, to him it is sin. It is a greater sin to know what you're doing and to do it than a person who does the same thing in ignorance. What about the Pharisees? You see, you go back to Matthew 5 and verse 20. I say unto you, lest your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and the Pharisees, you will by no means enter into the kingdom of heaven. Well, the Pharisees are the background behind this. And when you go to Matthew 23, verses 23 and 24, you read, Woe to you, scribes, Pharisees, hypocrites, for you pay tithe the mint, anise, and cumin, and have neglected the weightier matters of the law, Justice, mercy, and faith. 
These you ought to have done without leaving the others undone. Blind guides who strain out a gnat and swallow a camel. Okay, that last verse there, same principle. You're gagging on a gnat, small, small insect. But you're swallowing this huge animal, this camel. Same idea. You see, there are some people who know better, but they're not doing better. When you judge someone and you know better, then you are certainly subject to ridicule. What it teaches us is that you and I, when we're going to make judgments, need to make sure we've looked at ourselves first and taken care of that first. Paul says, Brethren, if a man is overtaken in any trespass, you who are spiritual, restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness, considering yourself, lest you also be tempted. He's saying, number one, be sure you're spiritual. Number two, you consider yourself. Now let's look at the third aspect found in verses 15 through 20. Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravenous wolves. You will know them by their fruits. Do men gather grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Even so, every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a bad tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Therefore, by their fruits you shall know them. Now here's a question. How can one beware of a false prophet unless he's able to make some kind of judgment? If I can't know that there's a man who is teaching something false, how could I beware of him? Is there not some judgment that has to take place? Well, obviously there is. And the first thing is that of testing their teaching. I have an objective standard by which I can put them side by side and see. 1 John 4, verse 1, Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits, whether they are of God, because many false prophets have gone out into the world. Are there people out there who are teaching things that are false? And if they are, how can I know? I've got to put them next to God's Word. Great illustration found in Acts 17 and verse 11. These are more fair-minded. These are more noble than those in Thessalonica. In that they receive the Word with all readiness and search the Scriptures daily to find out whether these things were so. That means that you take your Bible and you listen to a man, and if what he is teaching does not agree with what God has said, he's not teaching the truth. And you reject it. But the second thing is you take note of their fruits. The outcome of their teaching, the outcome of their actions. I really would love to spend a little bit more time in this area, but I can't do so and fully cover this lesson. Let me refer you to Matthew chapter 12 for just a moment. There are people there who are accusing Jesus of casting out demons by the power of Beelzebub. 
Jesus is going to point out to them, that doesn't make sense. If Satan cast out Satan, then what's going to happen? His kingdom's going to fall. Every kingdom divided against itself cannot stand. That doesn't make sense. But then Jesus turns and rebukes this group of people. And here's the way he does it in verses 33 through 35. Either make the tree good and its fruit good, or else make the tree bad and its fruit bad. Brood of vipers, how can you, being evil, speak good things? For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. A good man out of the good treasure of his heart brings forth good things. And an evil man out of the evil treasure of his heart brings forth evil things. Do you mean that I can judge what a person is doing by what comes out of his mouth? Yes. How can I do that? By his fruits you shall know them. When Peter was writing Second Peter, and you come to chapter 10, or uh, chapter 2, verse 10, and going through verse 18, he's going to describe a group of people, and he's going to say, these people are not serving God. And here's the way he does it. And these are especially those who walk according to the flesh and the lust of uncleanness and despise authority. They are presumptuous, self-willed. They're not afraid to speak evil of dignitaries. Whereas angels who are greater in power and might do not bring a reviling accusation against them before the Lord. But these are like natural brute beasts made to be caught and destroyed. Speak evil of things which they do not understand and will utterly perish in their own corruption and will receive the wages of unrighteousness as those who count it pleasure to carouse in the daytime. They are spots and blemishes carousing in their own deceptions while they feast with you. And then he goes on to talk about all the things that they do. You see, you look at their lives and you judge. Everyone judges. Some just use their own personal opinions and other people use the Word of God. I suggest to you that what's going on in Matthew chapter 7, verses 1 through 5, is people are making judgments based upon their own personal opinions, their own feelings, and the superficial judgments. And in verses 15 through 20, they're making judgments based upon what God has said and what God has revealed. So here's some observations, some response to this. There's some people who protest that others are judging them. You know, one of the things that I read in the newspaper is one man mentioned the fact that we are trying to impose our morals, our judgments upon them. Somebody said, well, maybe we are. Have you ever realized that this person has already judged us and said that our view is wrong? And this person is attempting to say, your morals are not going to be the standard. My immorals are going to be the standard. You see, you can't have a vacuum. Somebody's morals are going to be prevailing. As one man said, 
the devil has enough people working on his side already. Number two, Christians must be fair and judge based upon truth. We don't or should not judge superficially. We should not judge a person because of the color of their skin. We should not judge them on the basis of the amount of money they got in their bank account. We should not judge them on the basis of their level of formal education. We should not judge them on the basis of a number of things, but we are to judge them on the basis of what God's Word actually says about their behavior. Let me give you an example or two. When you go to 1 Corinthians chapter 5, church discipline was to take place. And Paul is going to explain to the church what he expects the church to do. He says, I wrote unto you in my epistle not to keep company with fornicators. And I certainly did not mean the fornicators of this world or the covetous or extortioners or idolaters. Since then, you would need to go out of the world. But now I've written to you not to keep company with a brother, anyone named a brother, who's a fornicator, covetous, or idolater, or reviler, or a drunkard, or an extortioner, not even to eat with such a person. Now listen carefully to verse 12. For what do I have judging those who are the outside? Do you not judge those who are on the inside? But those who are on the outside, God judges. Therefore put away from yourselves the evil person. If the church cannot judge behavior, then church discipline could never take place. But I can know what a drunkard is. I can know what an adulterer is. And if they're participating in that, God's Word says to put them away from among us. Same thing in 2 Thessalonians 3, 6, and 7. We command you, brethren, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you withdraw from every brother that walks disorderly and not according to the tradition which you received from us. For you yourselves know how you ought to follow us, for we were not disorderly among you. 2 John, verses 9 through 11. Whoever transgresses and does not abide in the doctrine of Christ does not have God. He that abides in the doctrine has both the Father and the Son. If anyone comes to you and does not bring this doctrine, do not receive him to your house nor greet him. For he who greets him shares in his evil deeds. My response is, we can know the difference between right behavior and wrong behavior and respect that. But I will remind you that even as one of us falls and even as one of us embraces behavior that is not what it ought to be, how do we approach that person? In the judgment we make, let's don't be harsh, let's don't be unkind. Matthew 7 and verse 12 says, Therefore, whatever you want men to do to you, do also to them, for this is the law and the prophets. How would you want someone to come to you if you have made a mistake, if you have sinned and you have fallen, come in a spirit of gentleness, Galatians 6, verse 1. As we study with Jesus, we realize that our judgments may be imperfect at times. 
but His are not. In Acts 17, verses 30 and 31, God commands all men everywhere to repent, and He has given the word assurance of this, that he's raised Jesus from the dead, and he goes on to say that he will judge the world in righteousness. And then in John 12, verse 48, Jesus says, He that rejects me and receives not my words has one who judges him. The words I've spoken, the same shall judge him in the last day. I want to encourage you to take your song book out. I want to encourage you that if you need to respond either to become a Christian or as a child of God who looks at your life and says, I know my life is not right, and I'm going to correct it myself. I'm not going to wait for someone else to correct me. I want to urge you to respond to the invitation. And if you don't need to respond, I want to encourage you to sing out and encourage your brother, your sister, who might need to respond to Jesus' call. Would you come while we stand and sing?